a very warm welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast with your host, Paul Lowe. Paul offers wisdom, insights and tips for living a healthy, meaningful, purposeful life. On the back of overcoming extreme adversity, Paul has a proven track record of achieving life-enhancing results. He offers empowering advice and guidance to help people develop a mindset for success so that they can live with more happiness and prosperity. Through his Mastering the Game of Life podcast and books, Paul also helps people to get their own inspirational messages and powerful stories out into the world, as well as being involved in supporting many charitable organisations in their development, fundraising and projects. Hello listeners and welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. Today I'm joined by one of our American cousins, a gentleman that's been with us on more than one occasion previously when he focused on his book, uh, Lasting Happiness. T.M. Hoy from Tucson, Arizona, a.k.a. Mark. Mark, a very warm welcome to you. Thank you so much, Paul. I'm really happy to be here with you today. And, uh, you know, we've had a little bit of a chat off here, Mark, um, not just now, but previously around something that you are extremely passionate about. And let me tell you, listeners, that's putting it mildly. Um, no more abuse. Enough is enough. Give us some context, Mark, if you will. Well, I, I think a good place to start would be the fact that 2020 is pretty much the end of the road as far as our ability to keep the climate uh, at a level that is consistent with uh, the kind of civilization that we have right now. Um, we're just about to blow by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change's um, what they believe is a two degree centigrade uh, limit, if you will, um, to be without the jargon and without a lot of scientific terms and all. Basically what it means is that we are We've reached the tipping point in many, many ways for a healthy planet. Um, the biological systems that we depend upon, uh, life in the oceans, uh, a healthy soil, clean air, clean water, these are things that depend on many different complicated systems working together. And what we've done as a species is essentially poison and kill off more and more and more of the links that make these systems work. And so when I talk about no more abuse, which I think is a good label um, for relationships in general, um, we're, we're at a tipping point. We're at a crisis point. And it is a crisis for ecology, for the environment uh, and our relationship with it. It's a crisis with social justice and the problems that we face uh, worldwide with, with a huge range of social problems, poverty, um, anxiety, depression. Uh, I mean, there's a, just an enormous laundry list there. Uh, the problems that we're facing in our relationships in uh, politics and uh, in economics, uh, a tremendous crisis in 2020 with the COVID-19 virus. So all of these things actually link together very closely in terms of one thing, and that is relationships. And our relationships are based on a toxic model that needs to change. We have to change the values that govern society. And so that kind of, um, I realize that wandered a bit, Paul, <laughs> but that sort of covers that whole 
a range of things that we, uh, and when I say we, I mean everyone that's, that's somebody who's conscious of these problems and wants to change them, that we need to demand change. And, and we have to have it happen now. We don't have any more time. Mm, very, very interesting. And what's, what's very significant is there, as, as well, listeners, is our more re, re, uh, related to the relationship angle. Because as soon as I hear that word, I, rightly or wrongly, automatically focus in on three, three different levels of relationship. One is with source, the higher power, whatever we perceive that to be. For some people, it's God. For some, it's spirit. For some, it's source, higher self. You know, that's a very personal, intimate relationship that only we know what that means. That's the highest. The other one is our relationship with ourselves, And then the third one is our relationship with others. And it strikes me there, Mark, what you've touched upon there with, you know, climate change, uh, so climate crisis, climate change, call it what you will. And the social justice that I know that you're going to be passionately um, speaking about shortly but it's all the, the, the core that runs through the middle of any of this stuff is exactly that relationship. So of those three, Mark, you know, source, self and others, I would wager that the commonality, well, they're, they're all common, but the real strong thread is our relationship with ourselves. Because if we're not right with ourselves, how, the, how on earth are we going to respect the need to to do the things that we should be doing. And I use that word should very loosely. Does that make sense, Mark? Yeah, absolutely, it does. And, uh, you know, I'd like to expand on that just a hair. Um, when we talk about our relationship with ourselves, that means that the people that are in our intimate circle, if you will, and really um, the values that we uh, consider essential there, the people that are closest to us, and that mean the most to us. The real values that govern those relationships always revolve around empathy and compassion, kindness and compassion. And that is the essence of what we need to do worldwide, society-wide. We have to demand that these are the values that apply to every system and every institution. And it's the only way that we're going to see a changed world. And it's because if you think about your relationships, what matters most? Are those relationships based on empathy and kindness? Is there compassion there? Is there love there? And if those relationships are loving ones, then they're rich and meaningful and deep and wonderful and a source of nurturing and a source of growth. If it's not based on those things, if there is no empathy and there is no compassion, those relationships are poisonous. And that is at the heart of what we as a society face because we are talking about millennium thousands of years of, of systems and institutions that are not based on empathy and kindness. They are based on oppression and domination. And that is the huge paradigm shift that we have to institute if we are going to see the world we want to see. Mm. And it starts with us internally, doesn't it? If You know, it's the old, is it mm -hmm. Michael Jackson, one of his records that said, if you want to see the change outside you know look in the mirror see the change within and you know where do we start with that and I, and what I love what you've mentioned there Mark is the key things the key values um, I think they're actually so much more than values but 
the key words, love, because we have a simple choice, don't we? And people, I think, you know, maybe one of the things that we need to start to embrace more and more and more as, as a matter of fact, not as a luxury, is we have a simple choice between this duality yep. of love and fear. And it is a choice. Right. Absolutely, it's a choice. And, you know, to quote John Major, the British Prime Minister that followed uh, Margaret Thatcher in the late 80s in England, um, in the UK, should I say, it's time to get back to basics. And it really is time. Well, is it time to get back to basics, Mark, or is the damage done? I mean, just in the context of climate crisis, is it too late? I mean, where are we at? I, I would say that we are in for a very rough ride, no matter what we do. Um, I think that irre irreversible damage to the earth has been done. Um, irreversible damage to... Uh, I, <laughs> I can't even put a percentage on the, the population of the earth that suffers from the effects of uh, a toxic um, society, if you will. Um, but when you look around the world and you look at the numbers, uh, the number of people that don't have access to clean water is over a billion. And that should tell you right there, if you don't have clean water, right, you have children that are dying from simple things like you know, toxic, dirty water and, and diseases. And uh, I mean, it, it's just, it's horrific. And that one little thing, not having access to clean water. It's not little at all for the people that don't have clean water. But the, the idea that one out of seven people don't have it, that it just blows the mind. And so when you look at all the other problems, the hunger and the poverty and the misery and the oppression and the war and the, I mean, it's just an enormous laundry list of problems. And so when you look at the, the worldwide population, how many people um, can you say have a health, happy, healthy uh, life and that is filled with meaning and joy. And I think it's a vanishingly small percentage. So um, though that damage is done, uh, you know, where are we at with it? I think we're at a moment, the, the thing that gives me hope is that we are at a moment of awakening and the, the crises have become so grave and so extreme that people are finally waking up and realizing, and I'm speaking here mainly in the West, because I think that people that are in oppressed societies are always aware of this. They, they can't not be aware. But it, certainly in what we call the West or the post-industrial nations, I think we have reached a point where and people are ready to say enough is enough. And I, that's where I coined that little phrase, no more abuse, because that kind of summarizes the whole thing, is that we're tired of abusive relationships, whether they be the ones that we apply to the planet, whether they be the ones that we apply to each other, whether it be the way that the government interacts with us, whether it be the terms of uh, the economy and the way that we uh, have to interact in order to survive. It's all of it is just abusive. And, and that's where we put the foot down. And so where are we in terms of this arc? Um, we're in really, really grave danger of, of running that train right off the cliff. And I, I think climate-wise, the train has left. <laughs> um, we are in for real serious problems in the very near future. Uh, but we can mitigate the damage. And when it comes to society, that's the beauty of this, is that these changes that, that I'm discussing 
also have knock-on effects and improve everything along the board when it comes to every aspect of society. And they also help improve the climate. Um, you know, we can get into that a little bit later. Mm, very, very. I mean, isn't it amazing, Mark, and listeners, that three simple words, no more abuse, how, you know, what's in a word? People say this, you know, Paul, you're so picky about words. But isn't this the real kind of focus of it, to say no more abuse? And it covers this massive expanse of our very existence as human beings, not only individually with our personal relationships, but collectively as as a people within around the universe, wrapped up in three simple words, some nifty maths, 11 letters, no more abuse. You know, you know, so where do we start, Mark? I mean, where's the kind of 11th, which beyond the 11th hour? What do we do here now as individuals? You know, what is the action plan? I, I would say that it, as you you look around the world, and for the moment, let's just focus on the U.S., at the Black Lives Matter movement um, and the related social justice movements that have, have kind of spread from that, um, where people are just putting their foot down and saying no more no more and and causing disruptions and insisting that they be treated decently um i i would say that it begins with first you have to know what you're doing and and that for many people is problematic and so i'd like to take just a step back and just kind of cover what i think is some essentials in healing relationships because a lot of people don't know uh, how, how do you heal a relationship? How do you change a relationship? And so you, to begin with, a relationship has to be based on understanding. It has to be based on some trust. And there has to be reciprocity. It has to be a two-way street. If you don't have that, then you don't really have a relationship. What you have is oppression. And so some of the things that when you talk about healing relationships and you talk about changing relationships, I'd just like to reiterate a couple of things so that people have an idea in their mind. So we, you could, you could picture this as somebody who's maybe a bully that you don't like. It could be maybe a loved one who doesn't uh, have good social uh, skills. It might be um, a neighbor that you have disagreements with. You could put anybody into this picture, but picture someone where there's a problem type relationship. And the things that you need to do in order to make that right are first off, you got to demand decent treatment. So if you're having a relationship with someone that's problematic, the fundamental of it is that you approach them and honestly and say, look, what's happening between us isn't right. And, and so you need to demand decent treatment. And that has to be the foundation of that relationship. And then if you insist and say, look, this has to be based on the values that we see as most important, and those are empathy and compassion. That has to be the fundamental, uh, that has to be the baseline. And then if they refuse, if they just will not behave decently, if they won't, if they don't behave in a way that, or let's put it this way, if they're untrustworthy, if they don't follow rules, if they constantly misbehave, if they're constantly breaking and, and acting against those values, 
then you have no choice. You just say, you know what? I refuse to deal with this and I'm walking away from this unhealthy relationship. And then you're forced to seek alternatives. So this is the essence of uh, conflict resolution and, and, and problems that you have with rela- interpersonal relationships. And the, the same thing applies to institutions and systems. And um, where you have situations where, uh, you know, you have systems that, and institutions that don't, uh, that aren't compassionate and that don't promote kindness, um, these are systems that have to change. And we must demand that. We have to force change. So where, where does one begin? And I would always say it begins in your own backyard. So pick the thing that is most problematic for you as an individual. What is the one thing that bothers you most about where you live? And that is where you start the fight. Um, it always begins with the thing that you dislike most or the problem that you think is the gravest. Uh, whatever it might be. And um, that's where you begin. And you gain allies, uh, you meet friends, you meet people that are like-minded, and you engage them as well. And um, if you've got a problem with something serious, then guaranteed there's a lot of other folks that share that. And that would be the place to start. Um, There's so many different problems, it's easy to get overwhelmed. And I would say uh, the antidote to that is to, again, focus on what matters most to you immediately in your area and, and let that be uh, your entry point to changing the world because trying to t- take on all the other stuff that's going on would just quickly uh, overwhelm anyone, really. Mm. So my mind was, rightly or wrongly, Mark, fluctuating in and out around politicians around the world and their, if I can be allowed to stereotype, um, the the greed, the self-servicing, everything mm. that seems to dominate in current, in current world politics. I mean, you know, is there no nobility left in the world at political high level anymore? You know, I'm OK, Jack, seems to be the mantra now across the globe and you know how do how do we get to these these people, Mark? I mean, because these are these are the the movers and shakers that sit in high places that really can affect change. But for some mm. arrogant, ignorant, profit driven reason, they mm. choose not to. I mean, you know, yes, we can be. You know, change does start within, absolutely, on a micro level. But these people have got so much power, haven't they? So much power. Mm. How do we get to them, Mark? You know, what has to happen before they actually sit up and notice? And, you know, to quote an old kind of 60s cliche of people not profit. Yeah, I I think actually that's happening. Um, You're seeing like, well, just just yesterday, for example, um, Trump uh, signed an executive order, which it, it actually kind of violates the constitution and uh, is problematic on, in its own right, but I, I won't discuss that. But the essence of it is that he was forced to sign an executive order because Congress couldn't come to an agreement and uh, said, okay, I'm going to extend unemployment benefits. Uh, we're going to give people a break with a payroll cut tax. Um, we're going to, and uh, you know, he, he, in, in, uh, prolonged the student loan deferment 
so people with student loan debts are uh, deferred payment for another few months. And uh, some, other, some other things that were mitigating things, the, the eviction moratorium was extended so people aren't facing eviction. Um, these kind of things are not normal for Trump. Uh, this is not the kind of thing that this guy likes to do. Um, he is much more rapacious, much more cruel, uh, and his entire party, the Republican Party, has become that way as well. Um, and so they don't have the values of empathy and compassion. But the thing is that he was forced to act by the demands that people are making, by the kinds of outrage and society-wide rejection of those um, oppressive, cruel policies. And I think that um, when somebody like that is forced to act, you know that the outcry is sustained and loud enough to where it's being met, where people are being heard. And I, I think that it just has to, we just have to ramp up the volume that people that are normally quiet need to be vocal. And people that normally have let things slide can't do that anymore. We have to act as one. We have to put our foot down and start making noise. And whether that be through your social media, whether that be through however you want to put your voice out there, you need to be heard and make yourself heard and insist that these values, uh, the values that uh, the values and vision that um, every decent person shares. Uh, a world that's based on love and kindness and compassion. That's what we want and that's what we have to demand. And uh, you have to make that demand heard. Um, and, and that is what has changed things. As far as these politicians go, uh, <laughs> yeah, as people, um, I think the one word, again, returning back to our little slogan, the one word that encompasses the whole system of politics and economics is abusive. It's exploitative, it's wrong. And uh, that's what we're facing. And so it's like, yeah, it's as simple as that. No more abuse. And, and people need to stand up and shout that from the rooftops and say, no, I'm not going to take it anymore. What's fascinating, if fascinating is even the right word here, Mark, for me personally is, and I know I've shared this with you privately, that up until six months ago, pre-COVID, there was a word, a simple four-letter word flying around. And and it's not love, because I think that's in some capacity or context or other, that's on most people's radar. And this this is a word that's been, as I say, simple four-letter. It's been around a long time. And uh, it was one of those kind of nice, mediocre words, almost bland, some would say meaningless and certainly for me it was. And obviously what's transpired over the last six months, Mark, for me personally, and you've mentioned the word a couple of times during our conversation here, and that word is hope. Boy, are we at a time in our lives where that word, all of a sudden, I mean, it's certainly come onto my radar with gusto. It's not just sort of given a little bit of notice. Here I am, world, I'm ready. It's like, bang, here I am, deal with it. Because isn't it true, Mark, that when we use words like crisis, even they seem kind of, you know, tepid words now. And it really is. And this is why I love the stark language of that word abuse. It, it's a horrible word. 
but it conveys the reality of what we're talking about, doesn't it? And the antidote to that, or one of the antidotes, surely is that love and compassion that you've already alluded to, sprinkled with a very, very large dose, dosage of hope. Yeah, I think that um, the reason that our talk is so important and is that we need to spur action because the crises, you're right, crisis is no longer sufficient. Crisis is, you're right, a very weak word compared to what we're facing. We're facing a series of enormous disasters on epic scales. Uh, the United States faces the very real possibility that in an election in November, that our democratic experiment will be over. If Trump refuses to leave office, if he insists that the election was fraudulent, and he seizes power in some way, shape, or form. Do, do our institutions have the strength to fight against an authoritarian takeover and the end of a democracy? I don't know that they do. And people have to be aware and prepare for this because I think it's a very real possibility. That same level of crisis is occurring in our relationship with the environment. This is the last year. We are sailing... Uh, Scientists, the, fine, the finest scientists, the most prominent, the finest scientific minds on our planet, uh, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, um, a recently published paper in Nature, which is the preeminent scientific journal, point to the fact that if we don't end fossil fuel usage this year, we cannot maintain that two degree centigrade change. And what does this mean? It means that forest fires and droughts will become much, much more common. It means that life in the ocean, already fragile, could well die. The coral reefs, no longer existing. The Amazon rainforest, gone. We are at tipping points with all of this stuff. And we're at the end. Um, we're not going to stop fossil fuel use. That's a, it's as simple as that. So what does this mean? We're going to sail past that tipping point. The East and West Antarctic ice sheets are melting. The Greenland ice sheet is melting. All of this is happening far more rapidly than even three or four years ago was being predicted. And all of these have knock-on domino effects. And so 2020 is the year. And we must insist, we have to say, you know what? The planet's not going to be habitable. Australia is going to be uninhabitable in the near future. It's already, already the temperatures there are just sky high, unbelievable. There's whole parts of Africa and the Middle East that, are no, that aren't going to be inhabitable. And when you look across the world, the changes that are happening with water, uh, it's just, it's, it's horrifying. The Himalayan glaciers are melting. Um, the water that feeds Asia is vanishing. And the monsoon phenomenon is weakening. So what does all this add up to? It adds up to billions of people that are no longer going to be able to survive. And what happens when people can't get the food and water they need? Well, you don't have to look very far to see the kind of wars and conflict that erupts when basic resources aren't available. And that's the kind of civilization-destroying chaos that we're facing, not five years, 
not 10 years. We're facing it in the very near future because people are not going to have what they need to survive. And we can no longer stand by idly and twiddle our thumbs and hope for the best and hope somebody's going to stand up and save the world for us. We have to do it. And when I say we, I'm talking about the people that are listening right now, people that care about those values of love and compassion and kindness. We have to act. There is no one else to save the planet. <laughs> we have to do it. We're, we are the conscious, the conscience of the West. We are the conscience of the post-industrial nations. And we must act. We have no more time. We are out of time. I'd just like to add to that very, very impassioned plea by Mark there, because I, to say I agree with that personally 100% is an absolute understatement. I think at the risk of, you know, raising a battle cry to individual and collective listeners, Mark said it perfectly. You know, we are accountable. That, I'm okay, Jack, I'm all right, it's over, it's finished. Think about your children, think about your grandchildren, think about your pets, their future. And to sit there passively now as well, you know, it don't really affect me what's going off in Australia. That doesn't hold true anymore. So, you know, listeners, you're going to hear a lot more of this kind of, uh, this kind of style, this kind of directness, this kind of getting in where the boots and the fists are flying. Because, you know, as Mark has very, very passionately alluded to uh, throughout this conversation, that we haven't got time to mess about anymore. The time for niceties is over. So let's get in there. Let's instigate change and let's do it yesterday, not tomorrow. Mark, my immense gratitude to, for, for this voice, this very powerful voice. I know you're extremely well read in these matters. It's a pleasure always to listen to you both, you know, on something publicly like this and privately in our conversations. And uh, I certainly look forward to having, you know, more more of both with you, Mark. So immense gratitude. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. I really appreciate the chance to have this wonderful conversation. And, and I just hope that listeners are moved uh, to act. That's all. That's all we can hope for. And just as a final closure, Mark, if people want to reach out and find out who you are and, and you know, you've got uh, your Lasting Happiness book out there. I mean, what's your contact details, Mark, for people to find out about you? Um, anybody could leave a comment on any page on my website, lastinghappiness.net. I'd love to have a conversation with listeners. And uh, please don't, don't hesitate to uh, make a comment on the site and I'll be sure I'll be talking with you. Excellent. So there we have it, listeners. Mark Hoy from Tucson. Arizona. And all that remains now is for me to say, remember, mastering the game of life starts by embracing our hearts. And that that's how I always sign off seems to have taken on a whole different tone since Mark's impassioned plea. And I leave you with that thought. Thanks very much for listening to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. If you found it interesting and helpful, drop a line to Paul via paul at paul-low.com with any thoughts or questions you may have. He'd love to hear from you and he'd be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at www.paul-low.com. Remember, mastering the game of life starts by embracing our hearts. 